everyone, our first official, official case that we're covering in yeah. 2023. Happy New Year. This is obviously going to be the first and only recording that we say that because eventually, you know, once you get into like the double digits of the month, you can't really say that anymore. But happy 2023, everybody. And uh, thank you for returning with us here at Shaken and Disturbed. Absolutely, Darren. And, you know, you just mentioned, I think you just mentioned um, like numbers or whatever. Speaking of numbers, I don't think that you're even aware. And I just remembered moments before this that... This episode, Darren, is our 100th episode of Shaken and Disturbed. It's our 100th full episode. Now, listen, there are some caveats to this, okay? We included flashback episodes previously as numbered episodes. So that's a little hairy because our last two weeks, we were off for the break for the holidays I did not label those as a hundred as as numbered episodes. So because they're not original. They're not original. Yeah. I mean, we did in the, you know, over the last two years, we have named our flashback episodes as numbered. But listen, we here's the thing, folks. Mom and dad make up the rules of to this house. Okay. Absolutely. And if we want this to be our one hundredth episode, guess what? It's our hundredth episode. So guess what? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. So congratulations to us. Exactly. That's right. Well, wow. Darren, happy 100th episode. I cannot believe it. We're coming up on two whole years of Shaken and Disturbed, and it seems like we just started this show in a lot of ways for me, but I I guess not if it's our 100th episode, right? Triple digit episodes going on. I know. I can't believe it because we launched this in 2021. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. we're going on our third we're going on our third year um and that feels really good it's really yeah. exciting i hope you guys have enjoyed the episodes yeah you know obviously like i it's funny because i still get people being like listen to martinis and murder and now i've mm-hmm. you know now i'm coming over to shaken and disturbed and like we're still uh we're still the same faces still the same people same in, voices in and everything and on that note by the way you could probably stop listening to martinis and murder at this point you know like Go ahead and just re-listen to Shaken and Disturbed. I'm just just yes. throwing it out. Just throwing it out there. We got enough cases for you guys. Um, 100 episodes. Yeah, exactly. 100 episodes. And obviously, thank you to all our patrons uh, who belong to Patreon. January 19th, Thursday at 7.30 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. We are going to be doing our first of the year John has to he's going to open his Christmas gift. He already opened it, but he's going to actually reveal the Christmas reveal gift the that gifts I to everybody. that yep. I got him, which apparently made him scream and cackle so much so that he didn't even save it for the. I said like save it for the pod, and he had to I call know. me to personally thank me, which I thought was very very sweet because he loved it so much. I was and, moved uh, by the the thoughtfulness, and I couldn't keep it in. I had to call her and and say thank you. Exactly. Well, I really appreciate it. So sign up now. Get an invite, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be kind of wild. It's going to yeah. be kind of wild, and more importantly, it's what is it? Five days before John's thirty seventh <laughs> birthday. That's true. Should we make it like a birthday? Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a little birthday celebration for okay. Johnny Boy there. I like so that. I like that'll that. be very fun. We both we both have birthdays on the twenty fourth. That's right. That's how so, we're linked. That's our connection to the case. That's it. Yeah, that's our connection to the case. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think we'll add one last thing here about the Patreon live streams. We are in the process of refreshing and revamping our Patreon perks. So we will be announcing some things uh, regarding Patreon, including, guys, we're not going to give too much away, but let's just say if you like our faces... 
You're ah. going to see a lot more video in 2023. That's all we're, con- that's all we're teasing for now. That's all we're going to tease. That's all you get. Um, well, yeah, but, you get. John, let's kick off let's our get first into case it. of that's 2023. Right. Hit it up. All right. Well, Fall River, Massachusetts was once one of the most wealthy and prosperous cities in the country. At the peak of the industrial... By the way, I can already... Let me just already tell you. I feel a little like, oh, yeah, this... Oh, yeah, podcasting and, and murder cases. Like, it took me a second. We've been off for a couple of weeks, but it, it's nice to be back in the seat, in the podcasting Absolute. seat. Absolutely. Well, anyway, at the peak of the Industrial Revolution, it was known as the Spindle City, earning that name by being the number, by being the number. Okay. Wow. Wow, right. we're just starting off right. Said, <laughs> just when I said. Wow. All right, all right. Let me just get this. All right, here we go. Earning that name by being the number one provider of cotton textiles in the world with over half a million spindles. Hmm. Didn't realize that was even like something that people would like, you know, give a name to a city. So, okay. Well, Fall River's economy rose and fell with the Industrial Revolution, as so many places in America have. And as America transitioned into the electronic age, the once powerful city soon lost its claim to fame as textile mills began shutting down. This happens every generation or so, right? Like you think about the coal mines, which in some cases, some states, especially West Virginia... Car makers the, and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. Detroit Auto City. That's not quite the same booming town and city that it once was. But by the 1970s, Fall River uh, as a whole had fallen on some hard times. With the fall of textiles, the economy crashed, and Fall River struggled to regain its identity. Now, today, Fall River is most famous for being home of, Darren, do you know, the unsolved Borden murders oh, of 1892? Lizzie Mm -hmm. Borden, yes. While many know the story of Lizzie Borden and her alleged acts, few know of the series of murders that actually once again plagued the city of Fall River in 1979 and 1980. Now, three murders, all appearing ritualistic in nature, would soon make headlines around the country as rumors of satanic cults and human sacrifices basically struck fear into the hearts of Americans everywhere. On October 13th, 1979, a grisly discovery was made by two joggers behind the Diamond Vocational High School, or Dimmon, I'm not exactly sure the right pronunciation there. Um, Under the bleachers, they found the body of 17-year-old Doreen Levesque. Um, The young girl, or Levesque, maybe Levesque sounds right. Yeah. Um, the young girl had been tied up with fishing wire, beaten over oh. the head with a heavy object, and repeatedly been sexually assaulted with a baseball bat. Ugh, this is just really horrific stuff. Um, these details are hard to hear. Doreen, a resident of the nearby town New Bedford, had a difficult life from the start as she had been abandoned at a very young age by her birth parents mm. and grew up in foster care. She eventually ran away from her foster home and began living on the streets. As a mean to survive, she began doing sex work to support herself, and it was believed that she had also begun using drugs. So really rough life, rough background, not a lot of support, it sounds like, by her foster family. Doreen had um, last been seen heavily intoxicated on Pleasant Street, where she met up with a few Johns, as they say, and hopped around from bar to bar. This is why I also, though, hate when people kind of use, and you know what, housewives do this all the time, like pop culturally, we do this all the time, especially with women, where like, well, you're a, you know, you're a prostitute, you're a this, like, it's Mm -hmm. like, 
you know, first off, that's a legitimate profession being a sex worker. And second off, a lot of people do it in order to survive. And yeah, yeah. Kind of thank God that they have a means to be able to support their life and their family in some sort of way. And so I think that stigma kind of needs to be removed. And I think we need to have more empathy and not look Mm -hmm. down on it, you know, whether or not it's a legitimate profession. And it is a legitimate profession, but for people who are kind of, they have no other way, why are we judging that? You know, that's what I don't understand. And absolutely. And I'll be honest, like, just to be completely honest with you guys listening, I had a very kind of generalized stereotype in my own head about sex work. I mean, you know, I think we, it's a generational thing. Like we kind of grew up hearing a lot of what you were just saying, Darren, like prostitutes and whores and hookers and all these other horrible names and stereotypes for people that are, like you just said, just trying to make a way in their life. And yeah, honestly, it wasn't until we did Martinis and Murder and then even throughout this show, like I started to really understand what all that was and even why I was thinking that certain way. So listen, we all mature. We all learn. That's all you can do. And hopefully you guys listening have a, have a similar uh, point of view about, you know, these people and the situations that they're in, no matter what their situation is, sex work is work. So absolutely. Nonetheless. um, Yeah. While violence against sex workers was not uncommon, the brutality and ritualistic nature of this particular crime really stood out to investigators. I mean, a baseball bat? I mean, that is truly horrific. Even fishing wire seems to Yeah, there's something about that too. The people of Fall River were shaken, as you might expect, as rumors of satanic rituals began traveling throughout the city and subsequently throughout the country. Because remember, 79 and 80, this is when the satanic panic stuff really was sort of gripping the nation, so they say, as they say. I remember there was a case in the town next door to me. I think I've talked about this. Maybe it was on Martinis and Murder where a group of boys, maybe my mom can correct me and I should look this up, but if I'm remembering it kind of and correctly. And she will. She will And she me. will. Mm-hmm. Uh, a group of boys had sexually assaulted a girl with with a baseball bat or some type of object, had sodomized a special needs. Uh, oh, I remember like that. Yes, and it was yes. like. I think that was Martinis and Murder horrific to do that to anyone let alone i know know, it's just like absolutely horrific it's a certain type of intent right it's not a defense thing it's very clearly intentional and that's what makes it sickening yeah and well in november only weeks after doreen's horrific murder another young girl went missing 19 year old singer mother barbara raposa now she was reportedly missing by her father on november 7th 1979 after he had received a frantic phone call from the babysitter saying barbara had not picked up her son that day barbara like doreen was also a sex worker and was also known to party with questionable people and use hard drugs Barbara was documented as a missing person until the mystery of her disappearance was solved on January 26, 1980. So that's actually, what, three months for it to get solved for a missing person's, which is, you know, obviously three months of a nightmare for parents, but pretty quick to be solved uh, in terms of missing persons. Now, over two months she went missing. Barbara's body was discovered by two hunters in the woods on the outskirts of Fall River. Autopsy suggests that she had been killed shortly after she had been seen on November 7th. Like Doreen, Barbara had been tied up, beaten beaten over the head, and assaulted. Now, with identical MOs, modus operandi, which it Mm -hmm. stands for, and similar victim profiles, investigators immediately felt they were dealing with a potential serial killer. While investigating, police questioned a frequent John in the red light district named Andre Maltese, who had claimed Barbara had gotten involved in a satanic cult consisting of pimps and prostitutes in Fall River. 
it's always it's always Satan, right? For always like something they don't <sighs> like, like you know, the internet is Satan, porn is <laughs> Satan, all these things are Satan. Video games are Satan. Harry Potter, right. I hear that a lot from the it's religious just, right. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, he said the group would routinely meet in Freetown Forest, a large forest overlapping the borders of Fall River and Westport. Now, as the media got hold of this information, the community's talk of Satanism grew even louder. Investigators began taking these rumors seriously and de- decided to start exploring the possibility of the murders being tied to Satan worship. In order to find out if these suspected cults were intermingled with the prostitution scene, cops would need to begin talking with some of the local sex workers. And on February 9th, 1980, 20-year-old Karen Marsden was brought in for questioning. She, too, was a frequent sex worker in the city. Police believe that she may have either been a possible witness to Doreen's murder or some of the events at least leading up to her death. So they're going to start there. Yeah, and one other thing about the satanic panic stuff is, like, I just feel like it has all the ingredients for gossip and chatter and excitement. Well, it's you know what I mean? It's a perfect media storm, right? Like yeah. people love hearing about that. And I just like, I can't even think of how many times it wasn't Satan, how it wasn't satanic <laughs> right. panic. Like it's never that. You it's know? never it's, usually it's, that. Exactly. It's never that. And yeah. we talked extensively. If you haven't listened to it yet, Darren and I recapped the uh, Peacock original uh documentary about Casey Anthony and um, which got a lot of response. We'll talk about that probably in a future episode, but another, you know, another example of like how the media kind of builds these narratives that may have, they may be intending to tell the story as correctly as they can, but really what it's doing is sort of creating a parallel narrative that is not the truth. Yes, exactly. exactly. Just feeding it more and more and more. Exactly. So, well, anyway, back to this story. Hoping to gain some insight, detectives brought Karen in for questioning. Investigators noted that Karen was erratic and nervous during questioning, which, by the way, if no matter what happened, innocent or guilty, if you ask, if you were questioning me, I would be I would feel that way. I mean, who wants to be investigated and interrogated by police no matter what the situation is? Well, that's why also like lie detectors and all that stuff. Exactly. Like, you yes. have to think about the set and setting of how these people are under scrutiny. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. She seemed willing to help the police, but overwhelmed with fear of the consequences she may face, you know, sort of once she left the station unprotected because, yeah, they're bringing her in and they're like, hey, what do you know about satanic rituals and then they're just going to like let her go god only knows what would happen now karen implied that she was aware of the cult and its satanic rituals i almost want to say satanic so forgive me if i do in advance of course yeah um and might even know who was at the center of it now as police pushed her on the question the only name she would give them was satan Mm. okay well that's the point that's where we are karen right now yeah we're talking about Satan. Typical just, Karen. Typical Karen, exactly. Well, she refused to give police the leader's real name, saying that if she were to do so, she would be as good as dead, despite being offered a spot in witness protection. So she's worried that giving a name up in the police station is going to lead to the police investigating the leader, and then they're going to know it was her and go after her. So, And I also wonder a little bit if you're kind of involved or already believing a little bit of the Satanism of it all. Are you thinking that there could be maybe punishment in the afterlife or like this karmic retribution, even if these people aren't there. Like there's also that to be said, you know, that like God's watching a little bit as a (laughs) Satan. And so if you say this, you're kind of going against maybe your Mm -hmm. afterlife in a way. 
curious. That's a good point. No, that's a very good point. Karen had little trust that the police could actually protect her from Satan and eventually refused to give them any more information. So she wasn't even like, oh, no, I'm going to give you everything, but just not this name. She basically started clamming up because she started to realize that it might be damaging and threatening yeah. to her own life. Right. After her interview, she re- she requested that the police drop her off at a nearby church, sh- ch- excuse me, church, so that she could speak to a priest. Now, that's an interesting situation. If you're a satanic uh, worshiper, wouldn't the church kind of be the last place? Like, Obviously, I'm not a satanic ritualistic um, worshiper, so I don't know exactly how that plays out, but interesting nonetheless that she wanted to talk to a priest, right? I, yeah, it's definitely very interesting because I wouldn't put those two and two together, but they are related. Yeah, they are. You know, you need evil to have good and you need good to kind of have evil. <laughs> well, approximately 24 hours after police dropped her off, Karen's grandmother was at the police station to report her missing. Oh, no. Karen's case remained unsolved until on April 13th when some partial remains were discovered In a heavily wooded area in Westport, Massachusetts, parts of Karen's skull as well as several of her teeth were unearthed. With Karen disappearing only hours after speaking with the police, investigators knew that they were getting close but still did not have any names of potential suspects. So this happened to her, and we're going to get to more details in a second, but this happened to her even without her giving over the name. So that tells you how intense and scary this all is. That is until, of course, police began working with an informant named Robin Murphy. Now, Robin was 17 years old and worked with the local sex workers as a pimp. Now, in her work, she had met and gotten to know all of the victims and was well known on the streets of Fall River. And she was described as incredibly tough and violent when she needed to be. Which is interesting because you don't really hear about women being described as the pimps. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're madams or whatever running a brothel. But for her to be a pimp is very off-brand or or atypical of what we kind of normally hear. Exactly. Now, the general consensus was that despite her age and small stature, she was not somebody anyone wanted to mess with and could handle herself among Fall River's most hardened criminals, which would make sense if she's going to be a pimp because that's kind of, you know, most of the... That's an ingredient. Most of the, yeah, it's a major (laughs) ingredient. Now, police met with Robin several times in regards to the murders. During one of their meetings, she revealed that there was only one person who she she was truly afraid of, a well-known rival pimp named Carl Drew. First name, last name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Never trust you, those people. Never trust a first name, last name. No, no. Carl was 26 years old and was known to be especially cruel to the girls who worked for him. He had been raised in a poor family and had taken on a life of crime from a young age. Police began to speculate as to how and why he may have committed the crime, saying that perhaps he used satanic worship as a way to scare people and gain control over mm. them. Robin told investigators that Carl was, in fact, this infamous, quote-unquote, Satan, that Karen had mentioned. And I guess he's further- sort of self-identifying himself as Satan is what I'm gathering from this information, right? Correct. And upon yeah. further digging, it became clear to investigators that Karen and Robin had indeed been very close and maybe even involved in a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Robin That's adding eventually- some fuel to the fire. And for Robin to be scared of this person who is an actual pimp, then Karen's definitely going to be scared right, of the actual right, pimp. Right, right, right. Robin did eventually admit to hearing the following story from Karen. 
Carl had forced Karen to watch him kill Doreen, threatening to kill Karen too if she told anyone. Now, Robin also said that on several occasions she had witnessed Carl conduct rituals of animal sacrifice out in the woods and had no doubt that he had graduated to human victims. Always starts with animals. Mm. Yeah, yeah. She said all victims, both animal and human, were killed in the name of Satan as a part of Carl's twisted occult practices. And with each visit from the police, Robin's story became more and more detailed. Eventually, she admitted that she had been the one to actually kill Karen, but wow. claimed she had been forced to do so by Carl during one of his rituals. Now, I will say, it's easy here to, to, put, make, all the blame. For, to put all the blame mm-hmm. on this guy, especially if she's scared of it or not, and say that he's just scary, especially as a woman. Right. There could be some manipulation going on there. Maybe not, but there could be that. And that seems to be a very feasible possibility here. Absolutely. Now, she said the three had been partaking in these satanic offerings, but Karen had become increasingly more disturbed by them and wanted to remove herself from the group. This Mm. infuriated Carl, who had then tied her up and tortured her by pulling out her hair and fingernails before breaking her neck and instructing Karen to slit her throat. Oh, boy. Yeah. Pulling out her fingernails, like, really gives me the heebies. Like, the heebies, jeebies. It's, yeah, it's just very disturbing. Like, it's one thing, you know, that's one of the things on this show, especially, like. I literally have goosebumps. I have goosebumps right now. You do? Yeah. It's just like, you know, we'll, you know, we'll talk about murder, and that's one thing, and you hear about the intent, but the torturous type of stuff, it's just really difficult. Yeah. Well, here's this kind of tough part here. Now, she said that after Karen was dead, Carl decapitated her and the two kicked around her head as if playing with a football. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. That's just... The imagery of that is so disturbing. It's like really sickening and disturbing. No, I have like goosebumps and I rarely get that, you know, but I have it here. Robin was formally charged with second degree murder, but agreed to testify against Carl to lighten her sentence. Now, again, this could be true. Mm Mm-hmm. But it also might not be true. We we yeah. need kind of more information here because there, Robin might have an incentive to put it all on Carl if she was doing something. And let's not forget what we're dealing with here. You know, like satanic cult types of people. There's drugs involved. Who knows if any of this is even true? This is from their own accounts. But nonetheless, it's disturbing to hear, you know. Absolutely. So Robin's confession to the police and all of the information she gave about Carl confirmed the city's fears, adding further fuel to the fire that there was indeed this satanic panic. Mm -hmm. And all over the country, there was talk of ritualistic abuse and violence in the name of satanic worship. So media outlets were eager, eager to spread the Of course. Of course they were. Yeah. You. Excuse me. It was Mm -hmm. Satan. Carl... Carl Drew was arrested in April of 1980 for the murders of Doreen Levesque and Karen Marsden and was suspected to be responsible for the death of Barbara Raposa as well. Now, it's important to note that this charge was made based solely on Robin's confession. Aside from being involved in the prostitution ring, there wasn't any physical evidence connecting Carl to the crimes here. Which is very important because a lot of people go to jail for a very long time. And why should Robin be trusted? And why should Robin be trusted? Right. Well, despite a lack despite a lack of physical evidence, Fall River police were eager to close the book on this case, and he was tried for the murders. As a part of her deal with police during the trial, Robin took to the stand and testified for the prosecution. She spoke at length about the rituals, Carl's tendency to use his satanic practices to scare people into submission, and even said that he would speak in tongues while performing these rituals. 
She claimed she had been possessed by the devil when she killed Karen. On the day of her testimony, jury members noticed Robin wore a cross around her neck, of all things, okay? Mm -hmm. A detail that many have painted her as more innocent and God-fearing than she was. Carl Drew was found guilty of Karen's slayings by a jury of his peers, but was not charged for Doreen's. He was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. Robin Murphy had pled guilty to her charge of second-degree murder for the death of Karen Marsden. Here, the story takes an unexpected and admittedly confusing twist. Now, Andre Maltes had a long history of abusing and targeting vulnerable women. He was known on the streets of Fall River as a serial rapist and abuser of vulnerable uh, young women. <clears throat> he also seemingly had strong ties to many of the other people involved in this case. His past lovers had included Barbara, Robin, and Karen. Interesting. So throughout the investigation, he had repeatedly tried to insert himself in the case by offering to help police. Oh, in right. one, yeah, in one instance, he told police that he believed he knew what had happened to Barbara thanks to a dream that he had. A lot of metaphysical, mystic, you know, always stuff that you can't prove. Nothing right? you no, can use no, in a no, court of actual law. Actual evidence here, just <laughs> and obviously the media is going to pick up on it. Because they of love course, that, that they sensationalism. Love it. They love yeah. it. Yeah, it sounds like a Hollywood movie come to life, and it's happening in this small town, right. and it's what what better? It's Exorcist. Soup. It's shining. It's yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Yeah, good point. In this dream, he said he hovered above the crime scene and watched the murder take place. Darren, so interesting that he has all these details. Now he claimed this information was given to him through some sort of psychic ability, but police, however. We're not convinced. Yeah. Now, well, listen, I'm I'm not saying that psychic, I'm not convinced either. I'm not convinced either. And I'm not saying I don't believe in psychic stuff. We've talked extensively about my own things that have happened here on the show, my haunted house and the things I've seen just alone in that house is, is enough. But when you get a bunch of people that are sort of murdering folks and serial raping folks you you can't really take them at their face value let's just put it that way well it's always interesting how sometimes these psychic abilities for certain people like come out in weird ways or like right. you remember that woman that was like oh god exists because i you know my toast was burned with the mary with his with face mother, like virgin yeah. mary or something like that i'm like yeah god's communicating through a piece <laughs> through of toast, toast. <laughs> of all the ways god's gonna communicate he was like i'm going through the toaster oven yeah this is the way like it's like absolutely it's just kind of crazy to me but he <laughs> knew far too much information about the of murder course. and was even able to identify the murder weapon at the oh, scene and describe exactly oh. how barbara's body had been positioned that's the thing if you're having a dream about it and you can give all these details mm. Uh, like there's a reason for that. Uh, my 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 response in my head right now is go to jail, go to well, jail, Just or go at to least jail. like you know I mean t try something different that you know it's a little <laughs> odd. Yeah. Police promptly arrested him for her murder. Robin Good. testified during his trial as well and said that she had also been present for Barbara's murder and witnessed Andre kill her. Oh, Andre wow. was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole. And after her conviction, Robin began to recant a lot of her previous statements. She claimed that she had made up the story about Carl's involvement in Karen and Barbara's murders. That's what I'm thinking. Carl's yeah, in prison, right. so what's happening to him? 
She said she was convinced Carl had killed Doreen, although she did not have indisputable proof. She was convinced enough that she felt compelled to bring him down for the other murders. She would also go on to claim that the police had lied to her. During questioning, she was told that if she were to testify against Carl, she would receive, she would receive a maximum of 12 years in prison, but in reality, she was sentenced to life in prison. Wow. Robin also claimed that the prosecution had threatened her with more jail time if she didn't testify to the exact story that they wanted her to. Hmm. This is not unheard of. This mm -hmm. is not unheard of. Mm -hmm. Robin claims she was manipulated by authorities to push their narrative of what happened. Now, was she telling the truth or was this a desperate attempt to remove blame from herself or maybe right. even get a new trial? And it's hard to say for sure, but the story only becomes <laughs> more convoluted from here. So during Carl's trial, another woman took to the stand, <clears throat> excuse me, and said that he had given her a ring, which supposedly had belonged to Karen, the same one he had allegedly cut off her finger. Years after the trial, when interviewed, that same woman claimed that police had threatened her to tell that story in court. So, mm, that's not feeling good. She had a warrant out for her arrest for an unrelated crime, and they used that as leverage to force her to incriminate Carl. This is all alleged, essentially. Another woman would also later come forward claiming that she had seen Murphy kill Karen, but it wasn't in the woods and Carl was nowhere to be found. This woman claimed that she saw Robin fighting with Karen and on top of a roof the night she disappeared. In 2021, a docuseries on the case called Fall River was released, which began raising a lot of important questions and drew attention to the fact that Carl Drew was convicted without any physical evidence whatsoever linking him to these crimes. I mean, this is all other people testifying about this with man. With no evidence. Yeah, no with evidence. no evidence. The director of the film, James Buddy Day, was quoted saying, you could literally just go into the Fall River Superior Court and read the trial transcripts, 11 volumes. No one that reads those trial transcripts will come away thinking Carl Drew was guilty despite what the jury said. And, you know, this is interesting because it reminds me a little bit of the Scott Peterson trial when Scott Peterson's, like, sister-in-law kind of comes on. And it's like, hey, the only evidence you have that he killed her is because he had an affair. And if every person that had an affair was a killer, then 98% yeah. of the population is killers. Like, and that's right. the thing. Like, you need them to actually tie to it. Painting a bad portrayal of someone is going to convince the jury, maybe, and, and, and sway them either way. But it's not evidence of them doing yeah. anything you know and by the way we did talk to james buddy day back in i think it was like 2019 he was doing manson the women if you guys remember that on martinis and murder when oxygen right. did that special really 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 smart guy like i definitely want to watch this all now and just see what he has to say about all of this absolutely well carl has been working with the massachusetts innocence project an organization dedicated to getting innocent people exonerated for crimes they did not commit carl has been repeatedly denied parole and has exhausted his request meaning unless some new evidence were to be discovered it is unlikely that he will receive a new trial he says that when he was first arrested, he had nothing but the utmost faith in the justice system, but obviously his opinions have since changed. Andre Mal Maltese, sorry, Maltese, I forget how we pronounce his last name, died in prison, and Robin was denied parole in 2022. Although the cases may have officially closed, many are not satisfied at the conclusion made by the police and of the courts. 
Some speculate that Robin may have been the real mastermind behind the killings and the leader of the alleged cult and simply targeted Carl because he was one of her basically competitors on the scene, which, of course, that was definitely something you have to think about. Right, exactly. Yeah. And which is kind of what we said at the beginning, that it's just yeah. a he said, she said type of situation. Yeah, exactly. Some believe it may have been a result of overlapping love triangles between Robin, Karen, Andre, and Carl. In a maelstrom of lies, media frenzies, and misinformation, it becomes increasingly increasingly more difficult to dictate fact from fiction. Obviously, we're trying to do it here on the show. You know, were Doreen, Barbara, and Karen all victims of the same person? I mean, that's something else to consider here. Yes, right. they were. there were similar tactics used, but they weren't super unique, you know? Like, they sort of all, you know, that's just it's frankly... It's not the first we've ever heard yeah, of that exactly. either, you know? Were they really involved in satanic practices? I mean, these are the questions you really have to think about. Was there ever actually a cult lurking in the Freetown forest? I mean, these are all just people's own anecdotes. And of course, the big question here is Carl Drew really innocent? Now, although these questions may never be definitively answered, the stories of the Fall River cult killings, excuse me, cult killings, uh, continue to haunt citizens. I mean, a lot of weird stuff is going down up there in Fall River. I guess that's one way to look at it, so... Yeah, it's yeah. it's really interesting, and I think it just goes to show how media and hearsay mm-hmm. and these like sensationalist headlines can really get people going about a lot of things, and that can unfortunately affect the criminal justice system a lot more than it should. Yeah, hearsay is the best word to use for this, because that's really, this man was put away based on hearsay. There was no physical evidence whatsoever. Nothing, you know, with nothing. all the different DNA phenotyping that's happening right now in the sense that like, what's it called, touch DNA, they are so intricate now in their DNA advancements that they might be able to go back and look at this case and say, you know, if there's still evidence available, look at some of that DNA and find a profile. You know, that's happening a lot. Well, obviously let us know what you guys think about this case uh, in terms of just everything. I mean, would you guys be swayed by these headlines? Let us know at Carpe Darren, at Jay Thrasher, and of course, Shake It and Disturb. Shaken into your podcast fans <laughs> on Facebook, which is always continually growing, and we always appreciate for that. And of course, we have to end our first episode of 2023 with some listener shout outs. John, why don't you take the first one? Absolutely. Orlena in our Facebook group posted a picture of her very cute puppy and yeah. wished us all in the Facebook group the best, saying, quote, Happy New Year to the best group on Facebook. I love that award. Cheers from our little Maya. She's a minpin and chihuahua. And Darren, I know that you liked the picture as well. And it was such a Miniature cute little Miniature pincher. It was such a little cute, cute kid. So yes. adorable. I love your, we all love your uh, pet pictures, especially in the new year. So yes, happy I new year them. to you, Orlena. Yeah. Amber on our Facebook page posted a pic in her brand new Shaken and Disturbed red t-shirt. Hey. She said, starting the new year off right. Happy new year, everyone. And Amber, you looked fine as wine in that I shirt. I will say this. I hadn't. Sorry, I mean to interrupt you there. I will say this. I had not seen that shirt in red yet, and I really I love, like it. Me too. I love yeah. a red. I I'm going to have to so buy good. that. Yeah. Red like blood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's a great segue to remind all of you guys listening that we have merch of all kinds. Pillows, phone cases, notebooks, coffee mugs, whatever you want. Uh, you can check out the show notes for a link to that. We will be updating that in the next month or so. We're going to have some new designs in the works. Um so check out, uh, yeah, check out our merch. We love and it. And of course, the best way to keep the show going is to sign up to be a patron on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You can help contribute to our show as independent creators. Be on the lookout. 2023 is our year, baby. 
Absolutely. All links for Patreon can be found in our show notes or patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed, all one word. Um, and of course, thanks to Megan, who's always with us and our fearless producer and researcher. So we have to end every episode thanking her. So one, two, three. Thanks, thanks Megan. Megan. You're the best. And guys, we will be back with an all new episode next Sunday. And of course, an NMR. And uh, can't wait to see you for our Patreon live stream Thursday, January 19th. At 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, we will be uh, sending out some Instagram links just to remind you all who follow us there and some Facebook posts, so keep on the lookout for that. See you next time. Bye. Bye.